Section 37 of Loss of the Sultana by Chester D. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 37. William Fees, Adjutant National Sultana Survivors Association. I was born in Elmendingen, Baden, Germany, October 17, 1841. My parents emigrated to the United States in the year 1847 and located in New York City, from which place we removed to Marion, Ohio, in the month of September 1852. At the age of seventeen years I was apprenticed to learn the trade of cabinet-making. On the thirtieth day of October 1861 I enlisted as a private in Company B, 64th Regiment, Ohio Volunteer Infantry, at Marion, Ohio, was appointed corporal November 16, 1862, and was promoted to sergeant April 1, 1864. I served with the company and regiment until January 1864, when I re-enlisted at Blaine's X-Roads, East Tennessee, for three years longer, and was re-mustered January 27, 1864, in Company B, 64th Regiment Ohio Volunteer Infantry, participating in all the campaigns, battles, and skirmishes with the company and regiment, except the Battle of Chickamauga, at which time I was on detached duty and engaged in recruiting service. I was taken a prisoner with five others of my company at the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee, November 30, 1864, marched the next day to Columbia, Tennessee, and after being held there a few days, we were marched with about 1,800 other prisoners at Corinth, Mississippi, Selma, and Montgomery, Alabama, finally reaching Meridian, Mississippi, where we were confined for a few days in a stockade. When we reached this place, most of us were in a deplorable condition, having marched several hundred miles over bad roads in the winter season with scanty clothing and scantier rations a great many were barefooted and a number were sick we were shipped from here to andersonville georgia i will not attempt a description of this hell on earth nearly all have read descriptions of it on march twenty sixth eighteen sixty five i with several hundred others was taken out of the prison and finally after a tedious journey partly by rail and the rest of the distance on foot we reached and were encamped on the big black river near vicksburg mississippi on the twenty-third or twenty-fourth of april according to the records of the war department eighteen sixty five paroled union prisoners of war of which number i was one were loaded on board of the ill-fated steamboat Sultana at Vicksburg, Mississippi, more like so many cattle than men, which, together with the passengers and crew, made in all about 2,021 souls, besides a freight cargo, making in all a cargo of several times the carrying capacity of the boat, and were headed up the river, our destination being Cairo, Illinois. The Sultana landed at Memphis, Tennessee on the evening of April 26th, where a portion of her cargo of freight was discharged. Sometime during that night, the boat left the wharf at Memphis and steamed up the river, making a landing to take on coal. Before we left Memphis, my bunkmate, 
comrade a o cranmer of my company and i fixed down our bed on the cabin deck and on the starboard side near the railing i remember just before i fell asleep captain mason in command of the boat came up from below to go to his stateroom i presume and was compelled to crawl around on the rail as the deck was so crowded with men lying down that he could not find room to step and was in consequence made the subject of several jokes after this incident i fell asleep and did not wake up until after the explosion which occurred about two o'clock a m at which time i was brought to my senses by some water which was thrown over me by someone on the hurricane deck when i came to my senses i found myself standing on a part of the wreck in front of and near the starboard wheelhouse surrounded by wreckage and in the midst of smoke and fire the agonizing shrieks and groans of the injured and dying were heart-rending and the stench of burning flesh was intolerable and beyond my power of description i was not aware at that time that the boilers had exploded but thought the boat had caught on fire judging from the injuries i received i must have been knocked senseless by the explosion as i found the left side of my face bruised and bleeding my left hand badly scalded and my left shoulder disabled which afterwards proved to be a very bad dislocation when i took in the situation and saw the dangerous place i was in i took hold of an iron brace rod near me which was so hot that it actually blistered my hands and scrambled on to the hurricane deck where i found a number of men trying to extinguish the fire by throwing water with buckets from them i first learned that the boilers had exploded from there i slid down a rope to the bow of the boat carrying with me a small wooden box which i thought might become useful to me in case i was compelled to take to the water i changed my mind however and threw it aside i saw a number of men bringing from the hold empty cracker barrels and jumping overboard with them but i saw they were worse than useless in keeping the heads of the men above water having only one head in them they would not balance just at this time the stage plank was lowered from its hangings and about as many as could get a hold of it were trying to launch it first on one side then on the other finally it went overboard carrying with it a great number but as it was heavily bound with iron it sank and must have carried down with it a great many who had a hold of it and others who were struggling in the water to keep afloat and save themselves seeing now that all other means of escape were cut off i began to look around for something to save myself with as it was now apparent the fire was fast gaining headway and would soon burn through the slight barrier formed by portions of the upper decks which had fallen down and which had up to this time kept most of the flames from reaching those of us who were on the bow of the boat just at this time i saw robert white a member of my regiment standing with one arm around a flagstaff looking on the struggling mass of humanity in the water below him as i knew he had followed steamboating before the war i thought he might be able to give me some advice i went to him and said bob what is to be done and all he said was billy i guess we will all be drowned or burned up i was of the same opinion 
but made up my mind to at least make an effort for my life, in which I was successful, while poor Bob was either drowned or burned up as he predicted, for I never saw him again. After this incident I went aft a short distance to find, if possible, something that would keep my head above water, but all I could find was some splinters of boards. Everything else had been taken, even to a box which had contained a live alligator. I had picked up a piece of rope with which I tied the splinters together into a convenient bundle. About this time the fire had burned through the wreckage, and it became apparent that those of us who were still on board would either be compelled to jump overboard or burn up. I chose the former, and went over with my bundle, and sank a few feet under water. I rose to the surface, and about this time some other fellow, who I thought must have weighed at least two hundred pounds, came down on top of me and knocked me under again. When I again came to the surface, my bundle of splinters was gone, and I was just about gone myself, as some other fellow had taken a hold of me, but I kicked him loose. Notwithstanding my disabled condition, and being at best only a poor swimmer, I managed to keep my head above water at least a part of the time, and get away from the mass of men struggling for life. When I was just about exhausted and thought my time had come, I came to a fellow with a nice large board. He was the only occupant, but I saw at once that he was very much excited and was not making any headway. I took hold of the board, throwing my disabled left arm over it, when he cried to me, "'For God's sake, let go! I am drowning!' I said to him, "'You fool, keep cool. This board is large enough to save both of us, and several more if managed right.' But he did not heed my advice, and at once made an effort to get it away from me by whirling it over and over edgewise, he going over with it at almost every revolution. I kept very cool, occasionally putting my hands on it, thus keeping myself afloat, knowing that he must soon exhaust and perhaps drown himself, which proved to be correct, as he soon disappeared below the surface and sank to rise no more. When I had full possession, I struck out as best and as fast as I could, fearing that others might want to take passage with me, but not knowing where the strong current would land me. After being in the water for quite a long time, which seemed to me an age, part of the time in company with others going down the river, some swimming, others floating on driftwood and all conceivable kinds of rafts, everything that would float being utilized. Some were shouting for help, others praying, singing, laughing, or swearing. I finally came in sight of some bushes, which I took to be on the shore, but which, as I afterward learned, was the larger one of a group of islands called the Hen and Chickens. The current carried me in some distance, and I brought up by a cottonwood sapling. I thought perhaps I could touch bottom here, but found the water too deep, the river at that time being very high, overflowing the islands and surrounding country. Realizing that in the condition that I was then in, being almost chilled to death, that unless I could get out of the water I would probably perish before help would reach me. I made an effort to climb the sapling, 
but being then almost helpless, I failed in my first attempt, and almost lost my life, for I slipped into the water over my head. But with the assistance of my board, my second effort was successful, and I found myself safely perched on the sapling, where I had plenty of time to meditate upon the situation. I thought of a great many things, of home, relatives, and friends, and of my poor comrades who must have perished, but particularly of my intimate friend and comrade, A. O. Cranmer, who I knew had a wife and children at home anxiously awaiting his coming, but who I thought must surely have perished, for he could not swim a stroke. I sat on my perch trying to keep from freezing by fighting buffalo gnats, which were very annoying, until some time after daybreak, when I heard a steamboat coming up the river, and knew by the shouts for help of those who were similarly situated as myself, and from the frequent stops of the engines, that help was near at hand. In a few moments the boat was near me. They saw me and sent a rowboat in after me. I was lifted by willing hands from my uncomfortable seat, placed in the boat, carried to the steamboat, and lifted upon the decks. The first person I saw was my dear friend A. O. Cranmer, whom I had given up for lost. But he had landed on the same island, and was picked up just a few moments before I was. To say it was one of the happiest meetings of my life would hardly express it. I was immediately given some hot stimulants and plenty of hot coffee, and was put into a nice warm bed. In due time the boat landed us at the wharf at Memphis, where those of us who were injured were given some clothing by good ladies and conducted to a hospital. When the boat landed us I saw standing on the wharf Major Coulter, formerly of my regiment, who was then on his way to some southern port. He reached out his hand, but was so overcome with grief that he could scarcely utter a word. He had been with us the evening before treating and giving some of us a little spending money, little thinking at the time that so many would so soon find watery or fiery graves. I was placed in a ward with quite a number who were severely scalded, or otherwise badly injured, and such misery and intense suffering as I witnessed while there is beyond my power to describe. The agonizing cries and groans of the burned and scalded were heart-rending and almost unendurable, but in most cases the suffering was of short duration, as the most of them were relieved by death in a few hours. I suffered intense pain from my injuries, especially from my dislocated shoulder and scalded hand, not having had any attention from the surgeons in charge, but I did not murmur or complain as I saw all around me numbers of poor fellows whose injuries needed attention more than mine. A kind-hearted matron came to my cot and washed me and wrote a few lines to my parents, informing them of the disaster and that I was saved. It was then that I thought again of my good, kind mother at home and longed to be with her, as I fancied I could see a strong resemblance between them. I was finally taken to the operating room, put under the influence of chloroform, and the dislocation reduced and my other injuries attended to. I did not remain long at the hospital. I soon found a number of my comrades, 
and with them, without leave or orders, boarded a boat bound for Cairo. As none of us had transportation or money with which to pay our fare, the captain and clerk, after some parleying, kindly consented to carry us. In due time we arrived at Cairo, and after getting transportation from the quartermaster's department, were sent to Columbus, some to Camp Chase, the injured ones to Trepler Hospital, where, right in sight of the capital of our own glorious state of Ohio, we were treated more like brutes than soldiers, and were almost starved to death by some inhuman, dishonest scoundrel in the employ of the government. I had too much grit to put up with such treatment, and took French leave and left for home, where I soon received notice to return immediately to be mustered out of the service, May 30, 1865, under a special telegraphic order from the War Department, having served just three years and seven months in the Army. In all that long service, I am pleased to say I was not at any time sick enough to go to a hospital, and was only once wounded, and that only slightly, at the Battle of Stone River. About twenty members of my regiment were aboard of the Sultana at the time of the disaster, ten of whom were lost. I quote from the records of the War Department, a copy of which I have in my possession, the following. The reports and testimony show that there were 1,866 troops on the Sultana, including thirty-three paroled officers, one officer who had resigned, and the captain in charge of the guard. Of these, seven hundred and sixty-five, including sixteen officers, were saved, and one thousand one hundred and one, including nineteen officers, were lost. There were seventy cabin passengers and eighty-five crew on board, of whom some ten to eighteen were saved giving a loss of a hundred and thirty-seven, making a total loss of one thousand two hundred and thirty-eight. I had always estimated the loss greater, but presume the records are correct, and am only too glad that the loss was not greater. It was without doubt the greatest marine disaster on record, in either ancient or modern times, and I am surprised that so little is remembered about it at this time, and especially by persons who were at that time great readers, and can to this day tell all about some battle or skirmish or other disaster where the loss of life was trifling as compared to this. Present occupation, furniture dealer and undertaker. Post office address, Marion, Ohio. End of section 37